Welcome to the Numa Church Podcast. For more information on all things Numa, please contact us on our website, numa.church. Now get ready for another inspirational message. Okay, really important question to ask ourselves is before we uh, run to the phone and simply uh, talk to somebody about what's going on in our lives that we run to Jesus and we pray about it. And often people come with all sorts of issues. Uh, You know, as a leader, as a pastor, our heart is to help people and encourage people. But one of the most profound questions that we can ask each other and ask ourselves is, have you actually prayed about it? Have you got God's perspective on whatever it is that you're facing? And often what we do is we can treat uh, each other almost like a, uh, a substitute uh, Messiah that sort of is going to answer all our questions when the Holy Spirit, the wonderful counsellor, lives inside of us and wants to answer the prayers that we pray. And so I want you to go with me to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to read through from verse 5 to 13. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. The crowds of people are gathering together to listen to him. And uh, he's teaching about prayer. And this is one of the longest sections in the Sermon on the Mount of prayer. And so let's just read it and unpack it together. He says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're talking about how prayer fuels the power of God in our lives. Several years ago, before my mother passed away, God impressed upon my heart to go and spend some time each week with my mother, particularly in a season of uh, incredible sickness. My mum, over 20, 25 years, was in and out of hospital every year, struggled with a lung disease that really crippled her in many ways. And uh, it was this season where God encouraged me to go and pray with her one hour a week. And so I would go to her house, anoint her with oil and lay hands upon her and just pray and intercede for her healing. Over about six weeks, we noticed that her health actually began to improve, even though her medication hadn't changed or her lifestyle factors hadn't changed, her own response to the prayer and to the working of the Holy Spirit in her body actually began to improve. Soon after, I went away for several weeks of ministry, came back, and I noticed that my mother's health had quickly deteriorated. I noticed a direct correlation between prayer and the improvement of her health, the lack of prayer, and the decline of her health. Fast forward, when we planted a church back in 2006, the first three years, we ran intensive prayer meetings at the church, three, four, five a week. We had up to 60, 70 people would come out and pray regularly. 
And the first three years, we grew from 13 people to nearly 500 in attendance every week. And it was a great move of God. But in the fourth year, for about 18 months, there were some real challenges that we were facing in the ministry, in my own personal life, in our journey. And I really got distracted from the call to prayer. And for 18 months, there was no growth in the life of the church. And I observed that when we plugged back in the prayer meetings, the church began to take on again. There was a direct correlation between the fervency of prayer or the lack of and the spiritual fruit that we were actually producing as a church. And I want to say to you personally, in your own walk with God, there is a direct correlation between your prayer life and the spiritual power that you have to affect change in your life. And if we don't understand that and we don't plug into the power source, we're not going to see the change, the impact that we are believing for in our lives. Scripture reveals if we don't pray, God won't move. Now, I understand the sovereignty of God and the Scriptures will speak to us about how God in His sovereignty can do whatever He wants, whenever He wants. And sometimes He does do that. But Scripture reveals that God often limits His intervention into our natural circumstances based upon our intercession. If we don't pray, God won't move. Not because he can't, but because he chooses to limit himself for one primary reason. In James 4.2, it says you do not have because you do not ask. In the Gospel of John, six times Jesus says, you ask and I'll do. What we often do is we do a whole lot of things, a whole lot of doing And then if our doing doesn't work, we finally ask God to intervene and help us. What we've got to learn is to come to prayer as our first response, not as our last resort. That prayer has to be the first thing we do, not the last thing that we think of. God limits His intervention to our intercession, which is a theological term for prayer or particularly interceding or praying for various needs, other people around us, needs in our own lives. He limits his intervention to our intercession because God is committed to fulfilling his will in partnership with us as his creation, not in isolation of us as a creator. Now that's a really important point that you've got to wrap your head around Because often we are wondering, why wasn't there answers to prayer? Or why isn't God doing more in my life? Or why aren't more things happening? James says, you have not because you ask not. Albert Einstein was once asked, what was there left for original dissertation research? And he responded, study prayer. We haven't discovered the full potential of prayer. You see, we often hear in the media, and rightly so, that the earth's natural resources are being used up and sometimes wasted. But not many people are talking about heaven's supernatural resources. And one of the greatest resources from heaven available to every single one of us is the power of prayer. It has untapped potential. 
in our lives to effect great change. And yet God has given it to us. He's invited into us into the privilege of prayer to fulfill His will and His covenant on planet Earth. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what does powerful prayer look like? What does a life of prayer look like from Jesus' perspective? Well, Jesus begins his discourse on prayer by saying, and when you pray. He does not say if you pray. He does not say if you feel like praying. He does not say if you just so happen to remember to pray every now and then or when you face a crisis. He says when you pray, implying that prayer would become a normal part of the believer's lifestyle, not an exception to our normal everyday life. If you want to know the type of power that is fueled by prayer, then you've got to understand prayer must become a lifestyle, not be an event that you happen to turn up to or engage with once uh, in a blue moon in your life. Prayer, when it becomes a lifestyle, becomes so much more powerful in your life. A.W. Tozer said this, the secret to prayer is to pray. I know that's deep revelation for us on a Sunday morning at the 11 a.m. service. It might not get much better than that. But let me tell you, the secret to prayer is to actually put the book on prayer down and start praying. Have you ever found yourself wanting to learn more about prayer? You read about prayer. I've got so many books on prayer at home and I love it because prayer is part of the reason I'm alive and I just want to get closer to God and teach people and equip people how to live a life of prayer. And so I'm reading and reading and reading. And then every now and then I catch myself, you know what? Time to start praying. There comes a point where you've got to stop just reading about it, hearing about it and actually plug into it in your own personal life. Too many people approach prayer as a last resort, not a first response. And I want to say to you, don't wait till you face a crisis in your physical health, in your marriage, in a relationship, in your finances, in a business, in your ministry, before you develop a prayer life. We've got to cultivate this lifestyle of intimacy with God. When I was a track athlete in high school, the coach required us to turn up five days a week, Monday to Friday, after school, sometimes before school, and we would train. We would do our run-throughs and track workouts, hit the gym, do all the things that you do. Why? Because he was trying to cultivate within us a disciplined lifestyle of training. Can I say when it comes to our walk with God, discipline is not a dirty word. It's a powerful word that doesn't have to be just filled with duty and grit your teeth sort of approach to God, but you can't remove the word disciple and not look at the word discipline. It's part and parcel of what it means to be a student, a learner and a pupil. And I would notice as an athlete that we would go to the athletic meets and there would be other runners who would rely upon their natural talent. They wouldn't turn up to training. They wouldn't do what the coach said but they would just turn up. And as the weeks and the months went down of the track season, their results diminished and they would have to try so much harder to get the same outcome that an athlete in a lifestyle of training was producing because when they turned up to the race, it was just another day at the office. I wanna tell you, when you walk into an office one day and the boss says that your job is finishing up, 
You don't have to freak out, try hard to get God's attention and say, what has happened? What are you doing to me? Why are you punishing me? Where have you gone? You can remind yourself because you're in a lifestyle of prayer. You're in a lifestyle of intimacy that God makes everything work together for good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. When you face something in your finance, when you face something in, in your, where it could be a medical issue, suffering and tribulation comes to everyone. It rains on the just and the unjust, but the difference maker are those who build their lives on the foundation of the truth of God's Word and of intimacy with God. And when the storms come and they will come, the house upon which you are building your life upon will stand firm because you have a lifestyle of intimacy with God. It's so important that we prioritise and be intentional about a lifestyle of intimacy. You see, prayer isn't a panic button. It is a supply line to the front lines of your life. In World War II, the Nazi U-boats would target the Allied supply ships out in the ocean because they knew if they can cut off the supply line to the front line of the battle, then they can eliminate the Allies' capacity to be able to fight with munitions and weaponry and the food that the soldiers needed. And so the enemy would target the supply lines while the enemy of our soul does exactly the same thing. The first thing to go when we're facing pressure and all sorts of challenges and responsibilities in our life is our prayer life. It's our devotional life. But you've got to understand, we don't wage against flesh and blood. We wage a war against principalities, powers of darkness in the heavenly realm. And when you're facing a demon and a devil who's attacking you, your IQ, your degree on the wall and your logic and your bank account isn't going to save you. You've got to actually develop a supernatural weapon and a supernatural firepower that's going to overcome that which is coming against you. You can't fight spiritual battles with natural weapons. You actually have to get in the trenches with God, get in the gym, spiritual gym with God and begin to develop some spiritual muscles in your prayer life to actually wage war against the enemy. When prayer becomes the air that you breathe and everywhere you go, you get a prayer on your lips. All of a sudden, there's a dimension of spiritual power that comes into your life. I want to encourage you to begin to cultivate a lifestyle of prayer where there is a prayer always on your lips. Even now as I'm preaching, be open to what it is the Holy Spirit wants to say. Say, speak to me, Holy Spirit. When you're leaving here today, when you're in the car, when you're walking down the road, when you're in the cafe, wherever you are, get a prayer on your lips. Be in constant communion with God. Practice the presence of God and the power of God will manifest in your life. What is powerful prayer motivated by? Well, Jesus speaks to this in verse 6. He goes, You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. God is speaking here through His Son Jesus about motivation. And we learn through this little discourse here that Prayer that feels power is motivated by love, not pride. When we advertise our spirituality, we actually undermine our spiritual reward. 
And it's so important that we understand the motive behind why we pray. You know, in our egalitarian society, we actually struggle with the idea that God rewards people. And we kind of think that, you know, well, God should just give a fair go for everyone. And whilst God is absolutely a God of justice and God's love is for everyone, the fact is the Bible points us to rewards for the right motive. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. If there isn't a purity of heart or a motivation, there is a spiritual blindness in our relationship with God. We literally just can't see things in the spirit when there is a distortion, when there is pride that fuels our spiritual activity. But when there's a purity of heart and a purity of motive, because motivation matters in the kingdom of God, there is this spiritual awakening and alertness that comes into our hearts that enables us to see God for who He really is. Hebrews 11.6 talks about reward as well. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that God exists and that He rewards those who diligently seek Him. One of the principles that God honours is faith. Whilst God is no respecter of persons, He is a respecter of principles. And wherever He finds someone with a purity of heart and a spirit of faith, let me tell you, there will be favour and there will be a reward. And the greatest reward for a lifestyle of prayer is actually a closer and deeper connection with the Holy Spirit. It's not just having prayers answered, us getting the desires of our hearts. It's us actually growing closer and deeper in our relationship and intimacy with God. It's so important that we understand you can do the right things for the wrong reasons and undermine your reward. Example of this in the Gospels is the Pharisees. The Pharisees would advertise their spirituality. This is who Jesus is referring to here. And before we sort of exclude ourselves from what it means to be pharisaical, the the driver behind their behaviour was the wrong motive. It was the wrong heart. So if we have the wrong motive or the wrong heart towards God and why we do what we do in the kingdom of God, we can actually take on that spirit of pharisaism. We can actually take on that same attitude in our own lives. And so the Pharisees would perform religious duties for appearance management, wanting the admiration of the people because they were fueled by pride. And so their religion became a duty. Their prayer became a duty. Relationship with God is fueled not by duty, it's fueled by delight. And it's only as you delight yourself in the Lord that you will see the desires of your heart that He puts in your heart realised. Religion is fueled by duty. What do I have to do to appear right, to look like I'm doing the right thing, to tick the spiritual box and get over this and get on with my life? That's religion. I want to encourage you and call you to to fuel your relationship with God with delight and not simply approach prayer from a dutiful perspective. Because when prayer becomes more about duty than delight, then what prayer does, it becomes more about you and I than it does about Him. 
why you do what you do is really important to God. God looks on the heart, not the outward appearance. You look amazing today, fantastic. Some of us, you know, we're all dressed up and we're here and we're doing what we're doing. Uh, Great. But God doesn't look at the outward. God looks at the heart. That's why you just don't judge people by how things come across on the outside. You look at the heart. And, and, and we discern the, the thoughts and matters of the heart by growing in a greater spiritual awareness of who God is and how He works in our lives. Where is a powerful prayer life found? Well, Jesus again speaks to this in this passage. He says in verse 6, When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You see, prayer that fuels power is found in the secret place. It's so important that even though I've been talking about and the Scriptures talk about cultivating a lifestyle of prayer where a prayer is always on our lips, if you don't prioritise time in the secret place with God, you're not going to be able to go to the depths of your relationship with God that God is actually calling you to. If I said to my spouse, hey, we'll just talk throughout the day and just for one or two minutes on the phone, but we're never really going to spend much quality time together. How many of us know our our relationship's not going to be that healthy? And many Christians sort of treat relationship with God as if it's almost like you're at that marriage and wedding day and you say your vows and promises and you tell your spouse that you love them and then, you know, it's almost like it's okay to ignore God for the rest of our relationship. How many of us know that's not going to go down too well? Probably going to get slapped upside the head pretty soon because someone in that relationship is going to feel neglected. Well, the good thing about God is He doesn't slap us upside the head. He just waits patiently. And He sends us signs and He sends us signals to try and get our attention because He loves us that much that He actually doesn't want us just to be stuck in the doorway of the Kingdom of God at the altar of salvation. He wants us to explore the entire mansion of intimacy and personal relationship with Him. He says, come into the lounge room and put your feet up and come and let's have fellowship together. Come and sit at the table in the dining room and let's feast together. Let me feed you truth from my Word. Come into that bedroom and rest a while because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God wants us to explore the entire mansion of relationship with Him, not just the front door. And I would encourage you, if you've been a believer for any length of time or you've just been a believer in recent days, step out of the doorway of just knowing that you're saved and you've got a ticket on the gospel train to heaven and actually begin to step into the adventure of intimacy with God and explore what it means to be in relationship with God. Move from duty to a place of delight. You see, Jesus had a time and He had a place in the early morning hours that He would go and have fellowship with his father. The Bible says while it was still dark, he would go to desolate places and he would pray. You see, before Jesus ever healed the sick, raised the dead, cast out a devil or preached a sermon, he actually had a prayer ministry. He had a prayer life. He would meet with the source of the sign and the wonder. Many people are chasing signs and wonders, but they're not chasing the source of the sign and the wonder. 
you chase the source, the signs and wonders will follow you. You see, signs and wonders are actually not that difficult. We have a value in a few weeks. We'll talk about miracles are normal. They're a normal part of the kingdom life. But often we're chasing the answer rather than chasing the source of the answer. You chase the source in the secret place, signs and wonders will become a more normal part of your life. You see, Jesus understood it takes hours with our Heavenly Father to get breakthrough in seconds with people. And I've come to understand in my ministry over many years that if I actually want to see a breakthrough take place in people's lives, if I want to see people get set free of demonic strongholds in their mind, actually begin to walk in victory over temptation in their life, that yes, they do have a personal responsibility in that process. But if I'm going to minister something of the anointing of God's Spirit and in a moment see the intervention of heaven in their circumstances, I actually have to spend hours with God on a daily basis to cultivate the sort of anointing that's actually going to break yokes and bondages in people's lives. You see, every morning between the hours of 5am and 8am, every morning of my life, as much as I can, wherever I'm travelling in the world here in Melbourne, is those hours are my secret place. Those are the hours and I've created a space in my home and I've set it up conducive to meeting with God, sitting down with Him and having a table that I can open the Word of God, that I've got the, my books around me, that I can spend time in that secret place. And it's the most precious time of my day because I simply cannot pull out of the well what is lacking in the well. Jesus talks about out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Well, you can't minister rivers of living water if there's no river flowing in your heart. Heart. You actually have to cultivate that. You have to pursue that. You have to develop that in your everyday life. And you may be listening to that and saying, well, that's great for you. You're a pastor, you're a leader of a church and that's your job. But me, I'm in the corporate sector or I'm in you know, education or I've got a busy family and I've got responsibilities. Well, well, sometimes people forget pastors and leaders are real people too and have busy families and bills to pay and responsibilities as well and demands upon their time that are beyond just what happens in the four walls of a church. All of us are busy. You just got to work out what are you going to be busy about? What are you going to be busy focusing upon? And all I know is if you neglect time with God one day, you'll know about it. If you neglect time with God two days, someone else will, in your family will know about it. You neglect time with God three days, the whole world will know about it. Because time with God in that secret place is the most precious and important time that we could actually invest into our walk with God. I've learned if I will take care of the shadows of my life, God will take care of the spotlight. If I'll take responsibility for the private areas of my life and I'll consecrate myself for God, God will take care of the public arena of my life because my public life is an overflow of my private devotion. You cannot take people somewhere in life you have not been yourself. What are you depositing and putting into the well of your spirit determines what you pull out of it. And so many people, even believers, and not at our church, just another church down the road. Um, it was a joke. Um, 
so many believers are, are sort of drawing upon almost like the dregs at the bottom of the well when God wants rivers of living water to flow out of your life. And it's not based upon whether you've been to Bible college. I mean, Numa College will help. But it's not based upon that. It's actually based upon your intention. Being intentional about your walk with God. Do you have a time and a place where you meet with God in the secret place every day? I just want us, my heart and prayer for every single person at Numa Church is that there would be a, a, a reproducing of that heart and that spirit and that anointing because without it, we are not going to be able to do what God has called us to do. You see, the focus of powerful prayer Jesus gives us in verse 7 and 8 he makes it really simple and very encouraging. He says, when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Now, sometimes we talk to God as if God has no idea what is going on in our lives. And we're like, God, don't you know? Don't you care about me? Where have you gone? Don't you know that I'm facing this? And, my... and it's not like God is up in heaven scratching his head going, I had no idea. Keep talking. Fill me in. Gabriel, get me a journal. Let's put some bullet points down. I need to know exactly what it is that is happening in this person's life. I have no idea. No, God is a heavenly Father who loves you, has called you and has created you. He knows how you are intimate wide. He knows what you're wrestling with. Apparently he knows the hairs or lack of on our heads and he knows intimately what you're facing. Get to the point and tell him what you need. You see, my kids, I taught my kids, don't come and, you know, just try and, uh, you know, butter me up and give me a hug and, and lean in, which my daughter loves to do before she asks for something and it works every time. Don't need to do that. Just come and ask your dad. Why? Because as your dad, I delight to be a blessing to you. Now, sometimes I may say no, because I've given a responsibility to actually care about your health. No, you're not eating 10 Krispy Kreme donuts. That's not happening today, all right? Pick one and then repent. And, and, and so what we've got to do as parents, so our Father does with us. Sometimes we're asking for things and God does want to bless us and He does want to give things to us, but He's also a Father who is wise, who knows what's best for us. And so maybe if you haven't got the answer to your prayer yet, maybe he's doing something in you before he gives something to you. Maybe he's doing something in you greater than you can see right now before he does something through you. So rather than worrying about what is not being given to you or what's not happening through you, just allow God to do something in you. And before you know it, you wake up and the rest will take care of itself. As you seek first the kingdom of God and here, I'm preaching as somebody in this room right now. As you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, first priority, preeminence, glorify Him, live for Him, seek Him first, all these other things will take care of themselves. You see, God doesn't need our theological commentary and theatrical enlightened sort of production to get his attention. 
Sometimes we use all sorts of words and we go through all these theological theatrics and we heard a word on a podcast or read a word. We don't know what it means, but it sounds really good. So we use it forgetting God is the source of theology. He is omniscient, meaning all-knowing. He's everywhere present. He's omnipotent or powerful. He knows everything. So rather than us trying to massage him to give us what we want, we actually just got to come to him with raw love and faith and say, God, here it is. This is where I'm at. This is what I need. I know you love me. And if you're not going to, this is how I talk to God. If, if right now that isn't on your heart for me to give me, then help me to focus on what I need to learn right now in this. And as you do that, God will also begin to speak to you very simply, very profoundly. This is what I've learned in my walk with God. Sometimes God, God, whilst he's always saying something, when he does say something, it's often so profound, it takes me weeks, months and years to outwork. And often we're saying, God, speak to me, speak to me. And I'm like, do you really want God to speak? As clearly, and you say, yeah, okay, well, get ready for your life to change. If you're fair dinkum about following Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you open up your heart and he does speak. Yes, he speaks through his word, but I mean that rhema word in that season. Get ready to buckle up and go on an adventure. Because sometimes I don't realise, I don't think we realise what we're asking when we're asking God to speak to us. And we're asking God to actually move in our hearts and in our lives. In fact, I want to encourage you this week. I dare you, in fact, I double dare you to find the least amount of words to communicate what's most important in your heart. Don't dress it up. Don't put a lovely flower on that prayer. Just say, God, here it is. As raw as you can and as simple as you can and Try that for a week and watch what God does in your life. How do you pray powerful prayers? Well, Jesus then goes into this amazing prayer that has come to be known as the Lord's Prayer. In fact, it's the disciples' prayer. Why is it the disciples' prayer and not the Lord's Prayer? Because in it, it has confession and Jesus never needed to confess sin. So in fact, he's giving it to us as a descriptive example of how to pray. It's not prescriptive, meaning whilst you can pray that uh, and, and you can at verbatim read that out and, and declare that, that's good. The reality is Jesus was saying, pray like this. This prayer, otherwise known as the Lord's Prayer, was not recited verbatim for the first 200 years of Christian liturgy and worship. It was not intended or understood to be for that. It was actually a guide, a, a, an example of how prayer should look in our life. And rather than going through all of this today, because we don't have time for that, I want us to focus in on the first part of it, because prayer that fuels power actually aligns with a correct view of who God is. And if you don't approach God for who He is, right, biblically, theologically, then the chain of the rest of the things in this prayer won't become a reality. Because Jesus said, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, Jesus is calling us to approach God with a high view for who He is, holy and hallowed. 
to esteem him and to honour him for his holiness and to recognise that he is our heavenly father. A.W. Tozer said this, A low view of God is the cause of 100 lesser evils, but a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. Now, I don't know about you, but all of us face problems. I'd like to know the solution to 10,000 problems. In fact, if you were to have someone come to your city and run a seminar and say, I'm going to share with you the solution to 10,000 problems, I guarantee people would pay big money to turn up and hear that. And yet Jesus for free says it's found right here. Have a right view of who God is. Our Father who art in heaven. You see, when we approach God as Father, it's amazing how many other things just actually fall into place. When you know that God is a Father who has your best interests at heart, who knows you, who created you, seeking first the kingdom of God is a non-issue. You just begin to prioritise the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You begin to seek Him with all your heart. Why? Because you know that He loves you, cares for you, has your best interests at heart. When you know that God is a generous Father, asking God for daily provision is just a no-brainer. You just come to trust that God is going to provide and supply because you know you're not the owner, you're a steward. He is the owner and He is the one who will look after you and I. When you know that God is a gracious Father, asking God for forgiveness and forgiving others actually becomes a normal part of your life. Because you realise as you've freely received grace, so extend that same grace to others. When you know that God is a holy Father, entertaining temptation to sin is actually not an option. Because the Bible says, be holy as He is holy. You, when you come to love this type of Father, even when your, your flesh is weak, and the spirit is willing and the flesh wants to entertain temptation, you realise that won't be helpful for me. It won't be helpful for the Holy Spirit that lives inside of this temple. And so holiness then becomes a part of your everyday life. When you know that God is a protective father, you can expect no weapon formed against you shall prosper. The weapon actually may be formed. Notice it says no weapon formed, meaning there'll be a weapon formed. There'll be an attack upon you. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. There is suffering. There is tribulation in this world. God is not the author of sickness. God is not the author of pain in your life. However, what God will do is use it to bring you closer to Him and to promote kingdom purposes in your life, but He didn't send it. He always uses what the enemy throws at you to throw back in his face as, as you become a living, breathing witness and testimony of God's goodness and grace in your life. And when you know that he is a protective father, you can wage war against the enemy of your soul, praying in the spirit on all occasions, believing for your deliverance and victory. Why? Because he is, right, he is like a lion who fights on your behalf and stands and protects you and guards you. You see, for years, my prayer life was void of the term Father. I would speak to God as Jesus, our Saviour, the Holy Spirit, as empower and sanctify, but not really understand God as Father. And, and there was a lack of power in my life. And yet when I began to address God as my Father, cultivate a relationship with God as my Father, the power of God began to be seen in my life so much more. I want to encourage you today to begin to approach God, 
Not just as, you know, we treat God sometimes like an ATM or a genie in a bottle with three wishes. That's not God. That's a Hollywood fantasy. But when you approach God as your heavenly father, the power of God begins to manifest in your life and you begin to see God move in your life and do things through you that you simply can't do in your own strength. Thank you for joining us for this message today. We don't assume that every person listening has a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so today we invite you to begin following Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. The Bible teaches that every one of us has been created for a relationship with God. Sin has separated us from that relationship, but God loved us so much that He gave us His one and only Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus lived, died and rose again, conquering sin, Satan and death itself. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. So if you are ready to pray in faith, turning away from your sin and believing in Jesus for your salvation, please pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God and I ask you to forgive me and cleanse my heart from all of my sin. I receive by faith the free gift of eternal life and I ask that you would fill me with the Holy Spirit. I thank you that I am born again as a child of God and that you have made me a new creation in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you have prayed that prayer for the first time, we would love to know and help connect you to a local church in your area. You can contact us on our website, numa.church. Thank you for listening.